The Democrats have now spent two generations explaining that the true threat to free speech resides on the religious right. Those fascistic John Lithgow from Footloose types who just can't wait to smash their Bibles in the faces of those who only want to read their lesbian pornography magazines. In reality, there is only one side of the American political debate fully committed to destroying the First Amendment, the left. On Thursday, former head of the Democratic National Committee and former Vermont Governor Howard Dean tweeted this, quote, Hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Uh, no. This is ignorance of the highest order. Of course, hate speech is protected by the First Amendment. There are only a few categories of speech that aren't protected by the First Amendment. So-called fighting words, specific and deliberate calls to violence, child pornography, defamation. But there is no category of hate speech here for a simple reason. What you deem hate speech may be political speech you just don't like. In Canada, for example, the law has forced commentators like Mark Stein into court for criticizing Islam. This is a violation of freedom, and the First Amendment doesn't contemplate it. Using hate speech as a rubric for political speech you don't like is tyranny of thought. Dean's tweet came in response to a tweet from Stephen Greenhouse of the New York Times regarding Berkeley canceling a speech from commentator Ann Coulter. It said, free speech defenders don't forget. Ann Coulter once said, my only regret with Timothy McVeigh is he did not go to the New York Times building. This may be dumb speech. It may be a bad joke. It may be offensive and nasty and terrible. It is also protected, as anyone with a modicum of First Amendment understanding knows. But the Democrats have long wanted to gut the First Amendment. They want to prohibit political spending from their opponents. They want to prohibit people from using biologically correct pronouns to describe transgender people. They want to ban hate speech. They hate the First Amendment because they see its protections as incompatible with the collective good, the collective good protecting non-offensive speech only. This is why we have a Constitution. It's why we have a First Amendment. And it's why Democrats certainly can't be trusted with protecting either of them. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so we have a lot to get to today. You should subscribe right now over at Daily Wire, because if you subscribe right now at Daily Wire, then you can be part of the mailbag. We will be doing live mailbag questions today on the special Friday edition of the Ben Shapiro Show. I don't know if I get to call it a special Friday edition, given the fact that I took two days off this week. But in any case, we will, and uh, pretend that we're giving you some sort of favor. But I, I want to talk at length today about a video that's going around on Facebook that has made all sorts of waves. And this is this video of Neil deGrasse Tyson. He calls it the most important video that he has ever done. And this video is about four minutes and 30 seconds. We're going to watch the whole thing, but we're going to break it up and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. The thing has 17 million views on Facebook as of now. Uh, it's probably approaching 18 now. Um, it's all about science and the value of science. And I want to explain what I think Neil deGrasse Tyson is doing that's so damaging and what exactly the left is doing uh, with language like this. So here's Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the most important video he has ever done. How did America rise up from a backwoods country to be one of the greatest nations the world has ever known? We pioneered industries. And all of this required the greatest innovations in science and technology in the world. And so science is a fundamental part of the country that we are. Pause it there for one second. So here's what is interesting about what he's saying here. Number one, science does not define whether a nation is good or bad. Okay, Nazi Germany was actually pretty scientifically literate uh, until they started banning Jews for Jewish science. They, I mean, they developed the V2 rocket. They developed all sorts of, they, they had several Nobel Prize winners, people who actually couldn't accept the Nobel Prize in science because the, the Germans didn't want them to. Science does not mean morality. 
But it is important to note one of the reasons that the United States has always been so scientifically advanced is because the United States was always a limited government place that didn't seek to suck resources out of the pocket of private industry and redistribute it. Redistributive nations have trouble with scientific patents. The United States does not. We've always been the world leader, uh, or at least for the last century and a half, we've been the world leader in scientific patents. And that's also because there's a spirit of freedom that exists in the United States that does not exist in big government places elsewhere. DeGrasse Tyson won't talk about why it is that the United States is so scientifically advanced. He just sort of assumes it. He just sort of assumes we're really scientifically advanced. But then he doesn't discuss why that is, because he's a big government guy who thinks there should be more social redistributionism, ignoring the fact that it is the lack of social redistribution it is the fact that there's a huge amount of private industry in the United States that has helped push science forward. He continues. But in this, the 21st century, when it comes time to make decisions about science, it seems to me people have lost the ability to judge what is true and what is not. What is reliable, what is not reliable. What should you believe, what should you not believe. And when you have people who don't know much about science, standing in denial of it and rising to power, that is a recipe for the complete dismantling of our informed democracy. Let us demand that educators around America teach evolution not as fact, but as theory. An increasing number of parents showing skepticism about vaccinations. Voters have approved a ban on GMOs. Let's call climate change unproven science. Pause there for a second. Okay, so here is the problem with some of what he is saying here. So I agree that there are a lot of people who don't know what is true and what is not. I've spoken about this in a political sense. I speak about this with regard to facts all the time. You notice that, that he never talks about science that the left doesn't like, right? So he never talks about the science of abortion, right? He never talks about the science of child development. He never talks about the science regarding transgenderism. I mean, people who literally have the fantasy that people with chromosomes that say X and Y and, ha- and are fully male can be female if we just give them hormone treatment and a few breast implants, right? He never talks about that. He always talks about climate change or evolution. But here is part of the problem. Neil deGrasse Tyson, just like a lot of people who is expert in his field, And I know there are people who have questioned his expertise, but he knows more science than I do. So he's more expert than I am. So I'm not going to go into that. But I will say this. Neil deGrasse Tyson is a guy who has posited that there ought to be a country called Rationalia, where people who agree with Neil deGrasse Tyson get to vote on rational bases alone. What he's really calling for here is a scientific oligarchy. He's not calling for a democracy. He's not worried about an informed democracy. He wants to be able to cram down his point of view on everybody else. So take, for example, what Pence is saying here now. What Pence is saying here is that there should be, it's not forbidden for creationism to be taught in local schools. We shouldn't be saying that evolution is the only way to think about things. Godless evolution is the only way to think about things. I may disagree with Mike Pence. In fact, when it comes to the teaching of science and the teaching of creationism, I don't think they're incompatible, but I also am not sure that creationism should be taught in science class because I don't think it's a scientifically provable hypothesis. That being said, It is not my job to say to the American people that you on a local level cannot vote for how to raise your children. Neil deGrasse Tyson thinks that you should be able, he should be able to tell you what your kids should learn and not learn. He's not worried about an informed democracy. Again, when Mike Pence says, let us demand that educators around America teach evolution, not as fact, but as theory, what he's really saying is, let's stop using the federal government to cram down our version of what we think is true on local communities. I I may believe in evolution the same way that DeGrasse Tyson does, but Pence is not wrong in the sense that it is a scientific theory, just as all theories are scientific theories. This has a lot of evidence to back it. It's a theory that that is, is certainly not evidenceless, but the idea that 
schools should teach evolution exclusively in science and leave creationism for Bible class, I may agree with it. In a consenting democracy, people get to vote for what they want, and they may be informed about Neil deGrasse Tyson's opinions on evolution, and they can still deny it. Okay, Even if they don't like what he's saying, they, they still have the right to deny it, and they have the right to raise their children as they see fit on this score without reference to Neil deGrasse Tyson's opinions. Again, consent. He may not like it because he thinks that consent actually requires the children not learn, but it's that same consent that allows us to have a free country that allows for all the sorts of economic and scientific development that have occurred over time. Then he continues. That's not the country I remember growing up in. Not that we didn't have challenges. I'm old enough to remember the 60s and the 70s. We've got a hot war and a cold war, civil rights movement, and all of this was going on. But I don't remember any time where people were standing in denial of what science was. Stop it there for a second. So, number one, that is not true. There have always been people who have stood in denial to what science is. Again, transgenderism and abortion. He never mentions them. In the 1970s, Paul Ehrlich was considered, the professor from Stanford, was considered the breaking wave of science. And anyone who said there was not going to be mass starvation across the planet thanks to scarcity of resources, those people were considered, quote, denialists, right? They were denialists who didn't understand the catastrophe that was going to spring upon Earth's environment. It didn't happen. Not only did it not happen, resources got more plentiful, humans got smarter in how we were going to apply those resources. And now we have 7 billion people on the planet when 40 years ago we had half that. So the idea that we are going to, that, that, you know, science today is stopped. Like this is, science today is what it is. And in the 60s and 70s, you know, we, we were more respectful of science. I don't think we were more respectful of science in the 60s and 70s. I think that's nonsense. I don't see any evidence to support that whatsoever. I mean, there, there are people who are hippie flower children in the 60s and 70s. They're, they're still hippie flower children today. There are people who deny scientific issues then. There are people who deny scientific issues today. That's just the way things are. But what he's trying to paint is this picture of science is going like this, and then Trump gets elected, and boom, science hits the floor. Science is going like this, so Obama was a scientific guy, and then boom, science just takes a plummet off the cliff. That is not accurate. It's just not accurate. And then he gets into his real point, and his real point is to conflate his political views about global warming with scientific evidence about global warming. And this is what the left wants to do here. This is why they call people denialists if they don't agree with their political solutions. So we're going to go through in a second what the science actually says about global warming. According to the IPCC, which is the left source, I mean, this is the source that they like the most. It's also probably the most credible source when it comes to climate science. In any case, here's what he has to say. And you can see him conflating his ideology with scientific fact here. The things about science is that it is an entire exercise in finding what is true. You have a hypothesis. You test it. I get a result. A rival of mine double checks it. Because they think I might be wrong. They perform an even better experiment than I did, and they find out, hey, this experiment matches. Oh my gosh, we're onto something here. And out of this rises a new emergent truth. It does it better than anything else we have ever come up with as human beings. Stop it here. The, 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 amount of, the amount of ire in his voice. You know, people who are denying scientific truth. Is there anyone out there who's denying the, the scientific basis for science? Is there anybody who, like, who's the, who's the actual anti-science person? They may disagree with the conclusion that you're drawing, but who's out there going, hypothesis being tested, bad. That's just terrible. But again, this is all designed to kind of raise your emotional 
needle. You raise, raise the emotional temperature. So then when he gets to his climate change point, go, yeah, climate change. That's the thing that's super important. And we should listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson solutions. This is science. It's not something to toy with. It's not something to say, I choose not to believe equals MC squared. You don't have that option. When you have an established scientific emergent truth, it is true whether or not you believe in it. And the sooner you understand that, the faster we can get on with the political conversations about how to solve the problems that face us. Let's stop there for one second. Okay, so... And there's one line there that I do take issue with. He says, this is science. It's not something to toy with. It's not something to say, I choose not to believe in e MC squared. You don't, e equals MC squared. You don't have that option. Okay, well, frankly, you do have that option. It just makes you stupid. Right? And this is the case that he should be making. He should be making the case, not that you don't have that option, because that sounds fascistic. You do have that option. He should be making the convincing case as to why the science he is citing is important and true. And he should be putting that out there as opposed to just railing against the wind about how there's all these people who don't like science. And here is the thing. Again, he says that, you know, the, the emergent truths are the most important thing. This is science. It's not something to toy with. You don't get to have an opinion that conflicts with science. Again, half of the left's scientific opinions are false on transgenderism, on abortion. Those are the two most obvious cases. But even with regard to global warming. So... Let's talk about what the, the established scientific consensus says. So, it is true. The established scientific consensus says that the Earth is warming. The established scientific consensus also says that human activity has been a large contributor to global warming. There's sort of deviation as to how much of global warming people attribute. Some people say 10%, some people say 30 some people say 50 But there's no question that there is some amount of human activity that has had an impact on the warming trend on the globe thanks to the greenhouse gas effect. The question is how large that effect is, and the question is what we are going to do about that. Okay, now all of that that I have just said is not denying the reality of global warming or human activity in involving global warming, but he's not going to like what I say next. So Oren Cass, who's a columnist over at Foreign Policy Magazine, uh, he's at the Manhattan Institute, he's written about this, and what he says is that the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change from the UN, consistently project real but manageable costs over the next century. He says, quote, on scientific questions, the gold standard summary is the assessment report created every few years by thousands of scientists under the auspices of the UN Intergovernmental Panel on climate change. By averaging widely varying projections and assuming no aggressive efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, they estimate an, an increase of 3 to 4 degrees Celsius, which is 5 to 7 degrees Fahrenheit, by the year 2100, okay, in 100 years. The associated rise in sea levels over the course of the 21st century, according to the IPCC, is 0 0.6 meters, which is about 2 feet. Even stipulating that adaptations will displace hundreds of millions of people, that displacement will not happen all at once. Spread over decades, such a disruption would look little different from the status quo. And this is the point. This is the part where you know, the, where the alarmism that you're seeing in this video, this sort of alarm that science is being overridden, that people are ignoring science in favor of other things. Again, it's just not that the tone and tenor is so desperate in this video, and it's not really called for. So there are lots of solutions that people have proposed. Uh, the, the, the ones that he proposes are basically vast government regulations, international regulations that aren't going to be particularly effective, that destroy vast swaths of the global economy right now. Now, one of the things I presume that he would oppose is additional fracking, even though natural gas is significantly friendlier for greenhouse gas emissions, for carbon emissions, than, for example, coal. Coal is really not great for carbon emissions. Natural gas is much better. But I assume that he wouldn't be in favor of natural gas. He wants massive government subsidies for failed green energy projects. He wants massive tariffs and taxes on carbon emissions. 
right? All of these things may not even be necessary. And again, we have to discuss whether they would do anything. And that's where there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. So to pretend that science has now suggested a solution or that science is very specific about the problem is just not totally accurate. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in one second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Upside.com. So if you're a business traveler and you like to, and you're traveling alone, right? You fly all over the country all the time and it's hard to find seats. It's hard to find good cheap seats. Right now, go to Upside.com. Upside.com is a brand new service. It's founded by a guy named Jay Walker. He founded Priceline, and they're a new kind of travel company. You buy your air and hotel as a bundle, and you get a gift card worth a lot of money. The typical gift card is worth about $200 on U.S. trips, $300 to $500 on overseas trips. The gift cards are from Amazon or 40-plus top national retailers. You get to choose. You can even apply some of that money back toward your ticket if you just want a cheaper ticket. Your company saves money, and you get the gift card. So it's a cheaper ticket, plus you get the gift card, and you don't have to give it to your company. You're already buying travel. Now you get that $200 to gift card on average. You get hundreds of dollars also for making small changes. So Upside.com makes it really easy to search for a cheaper trip. So you don't just want to fly into LAX. You want to see what the surrounding prices look like flying into Long Beach or flying into Burbank. And so you can check that really quickly, uh, and, um, and you can do that and see the different prices at the different airports very easily. You can use it every time you buy a trip. If you travel twice a week, you can use it two times a week. There's no limit on trips. There's no limit on the gift cards. You buy those airline tickets in the hotel together for one low price. It's, it's no long lists of flights and rooms and prices and trying to bundle them together. You just do it for one low price. And again, you get the gift card within 72 hours. So go to Upside.com and use my promo code Ben. Radio listeners use the promo code Ben and you receive at least $200 in gift cards with your minimum purchase. Upside.com, again, Upside.com. Use that promo code Ben. Receive $200 in gift cards with your minimum purchase. One more time, Upside.com and use that promo code Ben. Make sure you use the promo code so that you get that minimum um, that $200 in gift cards with your minimum purchase. Okay, so back to, this, back to this video. Here is finally what Neil deGrasse Tyson suggests about what his solutions would be on this global warming stuff. So once you understand that humans are warming the planet, you can then have a political conversation about that. You can say, well, should we, are there carbon credits? Do we do this? Do we put a tariff on, do we fund, do we subsidize? Those, those have political answers. And every minute one is in denial, you are delaying the political solution that should have been established years ago. As a voter, as a citizen, scientific issues will come before you and isn't it worth it to say, all right, let me at least become scientifically literate so that I can think about these issues and act intelligently upon them. Recognize what science is and allow it to be what it can and should be in the service of civilization. And what, what I love about this is that you, you see all these beautiful pictures of the American cities from at night. Over sky, You see the electricity throughout the American cities. What he doesn't say is that his solutions on global warming would likely shut down some of those cities. Right? You see some of the electricity go out. Uh, it, it's 
this this idea that the left likes to put out there that they are just pro-science and you are just anti-science if you disagree with their solutions, that's the problem. I can agree with Neil deGrasse Tyson on evolution. I can agree with Neil deGrasse Tyson that the world is warming and that human activity has something to do with that. I don't have to agree on the solutions that he proposes. But if I don't agree on the solutions that he proposes, I assume he'll call me a denialist because obviously if I knew science, then I would agree with him. Okay, so I want to talk about President Trump and uh, and healthcare shape up. What what exactly is happening there? Does it look like that's going to be revived on taxes? What's happening there as well? Plus, Sarah Palin and Ted Nugent go to the White House. How big a deal is it? And we'll do the mailbag. But you have to go over to dailywire.com for all of that. Dailywire.com, $8 a month gets you a subscription. Plus, if you get the annual subscription right now, you get a free copy of the Arroyo fictional film set on the southern border, uh, all about a farmer trying to save his ranch uh, from drug cartels using it as a thoroughfare. Really, really good film. Dailywire.com, become an annual subscriber. Or if you just want to listen later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud, become a subscriber at iTunes and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest podcast, a conservative podcast in the United States. Okay, so the big news yesterday was that there was this terrorist attack in France, killed a couple of police officers. ISIS took credit for it. And of course, this happens right on the eve of the French presidential election. Right now, there are four candidates in France, all of whom are running neck and neck, which is an amazing thing. So you've got the, the national front leader, Marine Le Pen. You have, the, you have uh, a guy named Macron, who is the sort of center-left guy. Uh, you have um, a, a guy named Mélenchon, who is the, who's the socialist. Uh, and then you have uh, Nathan Fillon, who is the... the um, uh, is that his name? Fillon. I can't remember his first name. Uh, he is the he is the center right guy, Francois Fillon. I'm mixing him up with Nathan Fillion because I'm an idiot. Okay, Francois Fillon uh, is the is the center right guy. All four of those people are running. All of them are running at about 22% right now. So this thing's really on razor's edge. And because of this ISIS attack, uh, it looks like that'll probably give a boost to Marine Le Pen, who's spoken out very strongly against allowing further Islamic immigration into France. Meanwhile, President Obama is now trying to intervene in the French election by demonstrating his support for Macron, not the full-on socialist Mélenchon, but uh, Macron. So here is a, a video of this happening that was released by, uh, by Macron. I have uh, President Barack Obama for you. Hold on one second. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello, Mr. President. How are you? It's uh, Emmanuel? Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm doing very well. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you very well. Uh, the main message I had was uh, to wish you uh, uh, all the best uh, in, the, uh, in the coming days. And uh, make sure that, uh, as you said, uh, you, you, you work hard all the way through. Because you never know. It might be that last day of campaigning. That, uh, yeah, I do agree. Makes all the difference. I will do my best, believe me, and, 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 and uh, um, so I will fight in the last minute and uh, we, will, um, we will keep it in touch and our teams will uh, liaise in order to organize an, uh, a new contact and see how to work together uh, uh, if I'm going to the runoff. Thank you very much. I, I do appreciate you, t you took the time. Good luck. Okay, so there is President Obama endorsing, and obviously uh, it, it seems that, that Trump has basically endorsed Marine Le Pen. He says he's not endorsing in the election, but again, this is sort of a proxy battle between Trump and Obama with regard to immigration politics. The, the, uh, it, it's really amusing to watch the left try to run as fast as they can away from this terrorist attack. They're saying, how dare Donald Trump say that this terrorist attack is bad? He's politicizing the terrorist attack. No, the, the terrorist attack politicizes itself. It turns out people are not fond of importing more possible terror risks into their country right after a terror attack. So we will obviously keep an eye on that election. Meanwhile, President Trump 
is out there talking about uh, about his policy. He's now approaching 100 days, and he's very frustrated because as he approaches 100 days, he really has not done much. So let's be real about this. He signed a couple of executive orders. Those executive orders have not really been implemented in any significant way because he has no staffers. 89% of all federal executive branch positions remain unfilled at this time because he hasn't done the basic legwork necessary to actually staff up, which means there's still a bunch of Obama staffers in place. Aside from Judge Gorsuch, it's hard to name a, a major accomplishment for President Trump in his first 100 days. And of course, Trump care went down to flaming defeat. So now he's trying to revive Trump care. He says there was no, now, I, I love the revisionist history. Trump says that there was no give up on health care in the first place. Okay, I want to get both. Are you shocked to hear that? And we're doing very well on health care. We'll see what happens. But this is a great bill. There's a great plan. And this will be great health care. It's uh, evolving. You know, there was never a give up. The press sort of reported there was like a give up. There's no give up. We started. Remember, it took Obamacare 17 months. I've really been negotiating this for two months, maybe even less than that, because we had a 30-day period where we did lots of other things the first 30 days. But this has really been two months. And uh, this is a continuation. And the plan gets better and better and better. And it's gotten really, really good. And a lot of people are liking it a lot. We have a good chance of getting it soon. I'd like to say next week, but it will be, I believe we will get it. And whether it's next week or shortly thereafter, as far as keeping the government open, I think we want to keep the government open. Don't you agree? So, yeah, I think we'll get both. Okay, so he says he's going to keep the government open and health care is going to happen again. No real talk about what's in the policy because he has no clue what's in the health care policy. What they're talking about now is basically allowing states to waive provisions with regard to pre-existing conditions, which... It seems to me a pretty good compromise in the House that you're going to, if you have enough Republicans who insist that we keep this idiotic pre-existing condition stuff in the insurance programs, again, folks, you cannot have an insurance company that insures against stuff that already happened. You can't buy a life insurance policy after you're already dead. You can't go, you can't wait till your spouse dies and then go to the life insurance company and say, I'd like a life insurance policy on my wife for $3 million. Here's a thousand. Okay, that would be idiotic. That's what people want in the health insurance industry. It's really stupid. But, you know, the people, they're allowing a waiver. Apparently, for the states, that's sort of the compromise they've come to. That seems to me a good provision. Hopefully, they revived getting rid of Obamacare in some significant way. I I can't take Trump on his word on this because he said that we were going to get this done the first time, but we're approaching 100 days, and that hasn't been done. Meanwhile, President Trump is slamming Canada over its dairy farming restrictions, and and there's an irony to this. He's sort of half right and half wrong. He went to Wisconsin, and people in the Wisconsin dairy industry, they said Canada's screwing us because they're putting tariffs, essentially, on the milk that we're trying to ship up there, and here's Trump. I'm going to do this, but I was in Wisconsin the other day, and I want to end and add by saying that Canada, what they've done to our dairy farm workers, is a disgrace. It's a disgrace. I spent time with some of the farmers in Wisconsin, and as you know, rules, regulations, different things have changed, and our farmers in Wisconsin and New York State are being put out of business, our dairy farmers. And that also includes what's happening along our northern border states with Canada, having to do with lumber and timber. The fact is, NAFTA, whether it's Mexico or Canada, is a disaster for our country. It's a disaster. It's a trading disaster. He's such, okay, this is the part where he just says stupid crap. Okay, so he says, it's really terrible that Canada is not accepting our imports in milk. Why do you think they accept our imports in everything else, President Trump? 
Could it be because we have, I don't know, a giant trade agreement called the North American Free Trade Agreement? Is it possible that NAFTA has something to do with that? So he's ripping Canada for tariffing our products, but then he wants to tariff everybody else's products. Okay, because it makes no economic sense. He doesn't even know what NAFTA is. He just thinks that the jobs are being sucked across the border if, if, if we don't tariff people. It's just it's, it's economic idiocy. What we need is lower tariffs from Canada, not higher tariffs from Canada. And if he doesn't like NAFTA, then maybe what he should do is negotiate a more free trade, free trade agreement, but that is probably not what's on his plate. Meanwhile, a lot of controversy has broken out over visitors to the White House. So the left says that people shouldn't go to the White House in order to protest President Trump. And the right says that people should go to the, pro- the White House to protest Hillary Clinton. Um, so the, apparently, the, you know, the Patriots showed up at the White House for this, this idiotic thing that we now do all the time, where every championship team has to show up at the White House, which I don't see why. That he's not the king. He's the president of the United States. It annoys me that people go to the White House and they're treated as though royalty is now, is now going to honor them. I just I hate this generally because I don't think that the White House should be a royalist institution. In any case, it's not the Patriots' fault. They go to the White House, and as we showed a, little, a few episodes ago, Rob Gronkowski, who is the... the tight end for the for the New England Patriots. Uh, he invaded the the press briefing room, and it was kind of funny. And uh, and this pissed off everybody on the left over at ESPN, which is to say everybody over at ESPN. Here's Max Kellerman, one of the dumbest people uh, in politics and sports on, uh, on ESPN complaining about it. And the press corps is, you know, they're having a rollicking good time. They're really laughing at, at a press secretary who, in his first press conference, demonstrably lied shock credibility. I mean, your job is to establish credibility with the national media and completely shot it since his first press conference. And it's gone downhill since there, by the way. And in a scary way, incidentally, especially where there was a lot of uncertainty about a very unusual administration, how much authoritarian impulse is there. Well, when the press secretary comes out and says, what you know as a fact is not a fact because now we're giving you alternative facts, eventually was the, was the, was the phrase. But that's a scary thing. Like, wait, what's going on here? They think that they can just say anything and, and, and we're supposed to take it as true. When that I can't, guy- I can't imagine why people are not watching ESPN for this sort of brilliant political commentary on why Rob Gronkowski, the tight end for the New England Patriots, shouldn't show his face in the press briefing room. Just unbelievable. Shannon Sharp over on Fox Sports 1, he was saying the same thing. He was saying that, that patriots who are black should not have shown up. Uh, and, and again, th- this sort of leftism has now become just the, the ultimate trope uh, on sports talk, and it's, it's one reason why the ratings are dying. I was surprised that many black players showed up. I wasn't surprised, you know, 34 players showed up. Um, and when you factor in the practice squad guys, guys that's on injured reserve, I think they said like it was supposed to be like 68 players, 34 of them showed up. But I was surprised how many African-American players showed up, Skip. And I'm not so sure. They might have been fillers. They might have like, oh, man, you got a big neck. Come on. We need you to stand into this photo op. Because, Skip, I, I don't think that was the case. But I, go ahead. Skip, I, didn't reckon, I recognize like three or four black guys. I, 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 I'm sorry, Skip. Okay, so it's just terrible that these black people would show up for the Patriots. And I remember, by the way, that when Tim Thomas, the Boston Bruins, said he didn't want to show up to the White House to meet with President Obama because he disagreed with him on abortion policy, then that was the end of the world. He was an ignorant hick. So, again, there's this double standard when, with regard to sports. Meanwhile, the media is going nuts over Sarah Palin and Ted Nugent and Kid Rock all showed up at the White House. And then there were some pictures of Sarah Palin and Ted Nugent and Kid Rock all standing in front of a portrait of Hillary Clinton and mocking Hillary Clinton do I think it's in bad taste? Yeah. Do I think it's dumb? Yeah. Do I think that it's, it's trolling of the highest order? Yes. I also recall Dana Lash pointed this out, and she's exactly correct. There were some gay activists who went to the White House when Obama was there and posed in front of a portrait of Ronald Reagan flipping him off. 
And this sort of trolling, you know, I don't think that it, it, it... I had this conversation with Andrew Clavin yesterday. He was saying that he thinks this sort of trolling is great, that this actually doesn't hurt Trump in any way, and that is totally fine. Look how Obama trolled the right. And I said, yes, Obama trolled the right right into electing Donald Trump president of the United States. If Trump trolls the left so hard that they end up electing Elizabeth Warren president of the United States, I'm not sure it was worth it just to get Ted Nugent to spot at the White House. That just doesn't seem... You know, particularly brilliant to me, um, but it is a little bit funny. So here is Sarah Palin on CNN being asked about why she why she brought Ted Nugent and and Kid Rock to the White House with her. You had dinner at the White House last night. I did. Tell us about it. How did that happen? Um, well, President Trump had called to invite just to touch base, so uh, asked me to get to D.C. and we'd be able to chat over dinner and asked if I'd invite a couple of friends. So you brought Kid Rock and Ted Nugent. Jesus was booked. So, yes. <laughs> Jesus was booked. Um, what? <laughs> so, it is trolling, obviously. Uh, and, uh, and it is funny trolling. But again, uh, there is a way to, there, there, there is something to be said for if you want to win re-election, maybe you, you stop with the trolling quite so much and you show a little bit of decorum. Uh, it doesn't, yeah, again, I just, I don't see the political purpose of this beyond just this is what Trump does. So in any case, uh, let's get some things I like and things I hate because I want to do some, some serious mailbag today. So things I like. Let's do it. All righty. So uh, I've been doing negotiating books this week. So this book is called Getting to Yes. This is a very, very famous book. And uh, there are five steps that it talks about in negotiation and how you get to yes without giving up your, your soul, basically. Uh, the book is by Roger Fisher and William Urey. It was from 1981. And basically, there are five separate principles here. I'll give you the quick summary. It is separate the people from the problem. So do not make it personal. Uh, get rid of the insult. Focus on interests rather than position. You can shift your position so long, so long as you you haven't shifted your interest. If you recognize the other person's interests, then that's helpful. Um, this is where Neil deGrasse Tyson goes wrong. Instead of focusing on on interests, he focuses on positions. Instead of assuming that we would all like to prevent, I don't know, world chaos, he assumes that we want world chaos, and that's the real problem here if we disagree with him because we disagree with his position. Invent options for mutual gain, meaning let's come to an agreement that may not be what I want, may not be what you want, but it, it, it provides a gain from where we are. Use objective criteria for measuring whether something is su success or not. If it's subjective, it's very hard to come to an agreement. And finally, know your best alternative, know when to walk away. Very often people are bluffing and they aren't actually prepared to walk away. This is sort of what happened with Trump with regard to Trump care. He wasn't actually prepared to walk away, but he said he was going to walk away. Uh, and then he walked away and now he's back. So that, that was that was silliness. So the book is Getting DS, uh, worthwhile reading and sort of it's become a staple of business school. So you can check that out. Other things that I like. So earlier this week, the Trump administration and the State Department had signaled that they were not uh, in, that they were not going to throw the Iran deal out the window. Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, he's now sort of flipped on this and he now is ripping on Iran pretty hard. Today, I'd like to address Iran's alarming and ongoing provocations that export terror and violence, destabilizing more than one country at a time. Iran is the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism and is responsible for intensifying multiple conflicts and undermining U.S. interest in countries such as Syria, Yemen, Iraq, and Lebanon, and continuing to support attacks against Israel. This is all true. It's all good. This is foreign policy on the fly with, with Rex Tillerson's State Department. Half the week they're saying that Iran isn't a huge threat, and now they're saying Iran is a huge threat again. That's fine. Good. As long as they're flipping in the right direction. Okay, time for some things I hate. So, I have to... I have to show you this Dove ad. So Dove has now cut an ad. All these advertising agencies are trying to demonstrate how broad-minded and wonderful they are. So Dove has now cut an ad 
for real moms. Okay, watch this and see if you spot one of these things is not like the others. One of these things just doesn't belong. All right. Everybody has ideas about what it means to be a good mom. And most people feel like they have a license to tell you <laughs> what they think it means to be a good mom. Defining what it means to be a good mom. Oh, my God. I'm a first-time mom, and I'm just figuring it out as I go. Oftentimes, a grandma, uncles, you know, great-grandmas, they want you to do it their way. But I have to be that woman that stands her ground. Can I have your bucket so I can put some drink? What we do here is unconventional because he's at the barn with us all the time. Hi, guys. I would say that he has such a different set of opportunities. We're showing him something unique. Everybody out. We are both his biological parents. You get people that are like, what do you mean you're the mom? We're like, yep. Um, <laughs> We're both going to be moms. Okay. I that is a dude. That's a dude, right? That's a transgender mom. And uh, that's why the voice is so low. That's why the voice is an octave below mine. Okay, this idea, we're both moms. No, you are not. No, you are not, okay? You're not a mom, okay? A mom is a different thing. Trying to pretend that a woman is a man and that men can mother in just the same way that women can is insulting to women, okay? There are distinctions that are important. Women are not the same as men, and they treat children differently than men do. This is not to degrade the role of a father. I'm an incredibly involved father. I take care of my children incessantly. I put them to bed virtually every night, even when my, mom, even when my wife, uh, rather, is not home uh, to, to put them to bed because she's out working uh, rotations, helping people birth their own babies. But this idea that men are women and that real moms can be dudes... Okay, that's so insulting to mothers. It's so insulting to women. The idea, I, I'm, I'm bewildered by the idea that women are not insulted by this, that women who are the mothers of the world, that they will, are just willing to give up motherhood. They're, they're willing to, so let me get this straight. Women say that men can't have any perspective on the killing of babies in their womb, but men can tell women how to mother if they are women. Men can be better women than women. Men can be better moms than women. Absolute nonsense, absolute horse pucky. There's a role for a man in a family. It is called being a father. And even if the father thinks he's a mother, he is still not a mother. He is still a father. And men, on average, offer different things to, to children than women do. It's just, uh, just awful. Okay, you, what, do, what does this have to do with soap? What does it, have to, it has nothing to do with soap. The, but again, this is just all these advertisers trying to prove how friendly and wonderful they are by denying basic biology. Again, you know, we should play this ad, and then we should play Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about science back-to-back -back and let him explain why it is that this ad is scientifically real, but, he, but everything that he's saying only applies to climate change. Just ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. You can play a little bit more of it. I live to be the best version of myself that I can be, and part of that is being her mom. Who's that? Dada. But I live to dance. I can do my art and not be any less of a mom. I'm raising him on my own. I'm happy where I am. And I get to make my parenting decisions on my own. There's so many ways to be a mom. I don't think I could be the mom that I want. Uh, you know, one of the things, the other thing that annoys me here is just this subjective idea that mothering doesn't have any objective measures. Like, I don't know, being around for your kids, educating your kids, that all moms created in their own way, this sort of subjective notion that, that momhood is just what you make it out to be. Listen, it is true. There's a wide variety of, of strategies for mothering. That does not mean they are all equally good. And pretending they're all equally good and pretending you can redefine that to include dudes who think they're ladies, um, that's just silly all the way through. Okay, other things that I hate. 
So Lisa Bloom is the attorney uh, for one of the people who was supposedly sexually harassed by Bill O'Reilly. And she came out and she said, our plan to get O'Reilly off the air went flawlessly. We sort of brought this out one by one. We brought all these out one by one. And then she said that she had slayed the dragon by getting O'Reilly removed from Fox News. One question. Why was that your goal? I would assume that your goal would have been to have Bill O'Reilly pay your client lots of money if you're the attorney for the client. I don't know why having him removed from his job would have been your goal, per se. Like, I understand that that you don't like Bill O'Reilly and all, but it seems to me that might be politically motivated, which is sort of what I was saying yesterday. There are lots of good reasons for Bill O'Reilly to to not be a, a figure worthy of emulation, but saying that, you don't, that, that you've removed the dragon and the real reason you don't like him is not because of his sexual activities outside the, outside the room. It's because of his political views. That's a problem. Uh, a final thing I don't like, and then we'll do a little bit of mailbag. So Stephen Colbert, uh, who made his entire career off of making fun of Bill O'Reilly, says goodbye to Bill O'Reilly, and here's what it looked like. Hello, nation. Shame on you. You failed him. You failed Bill O'Reilly. You didn't deserve this great man. All he ever did was have your back. And if you're a woman... You know, have a go at the front, too. <laughs> and what? Suddenly, sexual harassment's a crime? But that's the country we live in now. Obama's Trump's America. <laughs> I guess I always knew this day would come. When I first saw Bill on TV, I knew in my heart that no one could possibly sustain such a broad character for that long. So, Bill, I invite you to come live in the mountain cabin with me and Jon Stewart. It's fun. You'll like it. We've got an animal sanctuary. John and I milk the goats. And soon, I hope, we'll be milking you. Stay strong, Papa Bear. Oh, God, is this really happening? Okay, so again, Stephen Colbert spent his entire career, one of the things I hate about, about this routine that Colbert did his entire career is it's very difficult for conservatives to, to fight because... What he did is he, he sort of engaged in what I had called before political blackface. Blackface was this evil thing where people would dress up as black people and then mock black people while dressed up as them. And then if you would say to them, you know, why are you doing that? They would say, well, this is how black people are. Well, that's what Stephen Colbert did. He would, he would play something that didn't even remotely look like a conservative. And then he would say, this is what conservatives are, right? Stupid, racist, horrible. And then he would, and then he would say, well, and if you asked him about it, he'd say, well, I'm just playing a part. I'm just playing a role. I'm, I'm reinforcing a stereotype through playing the, my stereotypical vision of what this person is. Just as blackface was racist, so this is anti-conservative tripe. But, you know, again, he made a lot of money off of, off of Bill O'Reilly, so it seems rather ungrateful of him to, uh, to rip on Bill O'Reilly today. Uh, you know, he, he owes his entire career to Bill O'Reilly, basically. Uh, okay, time for a little bit of mailbag. Let's do it. So... Uh, I want to start with this one because I think this one is interesting. This one is from Trey. What do you say to people who try to reference the six different genders of Judaism? I'm talking about the words Zachar Nekeva, Androginus, Tumtum, Ailonit, and Saris. I believe the last four are used to describe characteristics or traits of someone and not meant to be used as gender identifiers. This is correct. So, Zachar just means a man, Nekeva means a woman, Androgynous is androgynous, right? It's, it's derived from the Greek, and it means somebody who has both male and female sexual characteristics. A tumtum is a person who has um, some sort of sexual deformity. An ilonite is a person who is identified as female at birth, but then uh, develops male characteristics at puberty and is infertile. It's probably somebody uh, who is um, XYY, or rather XXY, I, I think. Saris uh, is a person who is identified as male at birth, but develops female characteristics at puberty, so the, the opposite. Okay, so what does that mean about gender? 
Nothing. It means nothing about gender because this is where the left lies to you. Okay, here is the difference between sex and gender. All of the categories that I just mentioned are not genders. They are sexes. Okay, so they are they are biological reflections of genetic realities. Right? I can identify what all these people are by looking at their physical characteristics and their genetics. This is like when people say that Klinefelter syndrome demonstrates that there's gender variability. No, it demonstrates that there is sexual variability. It does not demonstrate that there is gender variability. Gender, supposed to be, supposedly, is a social construct, according to the left, which means all of the characteristics that we think of as feminine and masculine that have been imposed by society rather than by biology. But what the left likes to do is conflate those two terms. So what they will say is they will say, well, you know, a man can be a woman. How do we know a man can be a woman? Well, because there are some people who are hermaphrodites. No, stupid. That just means that hermaphrodites are hermaphrodites. It does not mean that a man who is biologically a man is a hermaphrodite or a woman. Okay, these are separate biological categories. Again, it's very much like the argument in abortion that's used on rape and incest, where they use the rape and incest questions as a way to argue for all abortions. You're taking a marginal case, a marginal biological case in this case, and then you are using that to say it applies to all men and all women at all times. That's just silly. It's just silly. It doesn't make any sense. And that's what Judaism says. And it talks about like whether we count them as men or women in a minion, uh, whether they can go offer sacrifices at the temple. But specifically, it is talking about people with actual sexual characteristics that are manifestations of their genetics. It is not talking about a man who believes he is a woman or vice versa because of some sort of brain issue. Okay, Stephen says, although I'm agnostic, I find your segments on the Bible on Wednesdays to be very interesting. Now for my question. Do you think that in order to believe in God, a person has to have an overall positive outlook on life? Or can a person who is generally pessimistic and cynical, such as myself, have religious faith? Thanks. Well, first of all, I think that you can absolutely be pessimistic and cynical about human beings. Right? The question is, are you pessimistic and cynical about the world around you, or are you just pessimistic and cynical about human beings? The Bible is inherently pessimistic and cynical about human beings. It says, trust not in princes, right? You're going to only trust in God. Trust, trust the Lord who created you, but you don't trust the people around you because people in Christianity, people are founded in original sin. And in Judaism, people, we don't believe in the idea of original sin cursing mankind for all time, but we do agree with the idea that human beings have good and they have bad and they have drives and they have they have incentives and people are not always good and not always bad. In fact, there's a whole debate in the Talmud over whether it would have been better if people had never been created, if, if people should be born. Is it good to be born or bad to be born? And the Talmud basically says, it comes down on the side of, it's better for people not to be born <laughs> because then there's no opportunity to sin. So yes, you can be a pessimist and be religious. Brandon says, what is your solution to the uprising in rioting at universities such as Berkeley? The answer is massive law enforcement presence and shut it down and arrest everyone who engages in violence. This is not hard. You treat riots at Berkeley the same way you should be treating riots everywhere else. Ashley says, if you're ever found dead, do we have your permission to make conspiracy theories about it? Well, hopefully I will never be found dead. Hopefully I will just live forever. But, uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories, but it depends on what conspiracy theory you are, you are, you are leveraging. If the conspiracy theory is that somewhere I have like a giant bag of gold stashed somewhere and it's going to lead to a treasure hunt. I feel like that's kind of fun. If the conspiracy theory is that I was killed by terrorists, so let's bomb the hell out of Iran, then I can live with that. It depends on the nature of the conspiracy theory. As Zach says, hey, Ben, you seem to know almost every statistic about every topic. Do you have a photographic memory? If not, how do you memorize all the stats? Are you just a superhuman genius? Yes, yes, and yes. Um, no, I don't have a photographic memory. Um, I, I am not a superhuman genius. I know people with higher IQs than I have. I went to school with some of them in middle school. Most of them are not plumbers. Um, as far as knowing about, uh, which is not a rip on plumbers, by the way. Some of them are making a lot of money. Um, but some of them are in jail. Uh, in any case, 
Uh, if you, uh, knowing statistics is about studying them and feeling they're important. So, uh, in the way my brain works, is that it's more of a it's more of a a sifter than it is a sponge. I can't read a book and remember every statistic in there. But if I feel like a statistic is important, I have the capacity, thank God, to kind of tuck that away for later use. Uh, and I review statistics every so often to make sure I'm getting it right. Um, but it's because I studied this stuff a lot. And yeah, I'm sure that on whatever whatever job you have, you're an expert on that. This is my job, so I have expertise on that. Jonathan says, "Hi Ben, big fan. If our Society reaches the point where work becomes largely obsolete due to automation, but resources are still limited. How can wealth be distributed to suit different wants and needs? So it depends on which resources are still limited. So if work is largely obsolete because of automation, somebody is still going to have to provide the raw resources for all of that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that that makes a whole lot of sense. Where where virtually all, everything has been taken over by machines and all the jobs are being done. But there's still scarcity because somebody still has to buy those products and provide the products to make those products, I would assume. Um, as long as there's scarcity, there will be jobs. Scarcity creates jobs because jobs are, are the redistributing of scarcity uh, and, the, and the repackaging of scarce products. So scarcity, I don't think, is going to uh, – I don't think it's possible, in other words, for machines to take over the world and yet there to be widespread scarcity. I think that's very difficult to imagine. Maybe it is, but let me think some more about that and get back to you uh, on that one. All right. Uh, I think that, uh, that I'll answer one more in, in spite of my producers. Shauna says, Ben, what do you think is one of the, the, one of the single most important things your parents did for you growing up to help you get to where you are today? My parents said to me growing up, that you're not going to be the smartest person in the room most of the time, um, but you can be the hardest working person in the room all the time. And I think that that was good advice. Okay, so uh, we have reached the end of the week. We'll be back here on Monday. We have a regular week, work week on Monday, so try not to ruin everything over the weekend. I keep t warning you guys, and you keep ruining everything, so please cut it out. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.